are live from the empire of lies, the oasis of truth, freedom, and free speech in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration's new world order. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So how are you doing today, Rod? Kind of a weird weekend, would you say? Yeah, that's an understatement, Lee. I'm, I'm doing well. Can't complain. How about yourself? No one broke into your house and tried to hit you with a hammer, correct? No, nobody nobody tried to do that. So, of course, I was goofing on that on Friday, and it's turned bizarre. There's so many details about that, about this the suspect, David Dupepe. We'll talk about him right after the boom. But who we got on the show from Brazil, Jamal Thomas, in the first hour. Is he in Rio? Where is he? Sao Paulo? Do we know where he is? Yeah, because they had an election. It's another example of a country with a deeply divided political system. And they could see, we'll see, we'll see if he thinks, you know where else? We've, we've talked, of course, about all the problems England's having. You know, three prime ministers in six months. But you know who's got them beat? Mm, go ahead, Lee, tell me. I, I, I feel like I know, but... Uh, uh, Israel. I believe it's their fifth parliamentary election in two years. So they're competing with Britain. But both of those countries, and I'm saying they had the reason Jamal's down there is not just for the nice weather, but Brazil had an election and Lula beat Bolsonaro, but it's controversial. You're seeing that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, last night, I, uh, from what I was seeing, it wasn't, but uh, as of today, it's starting, starting to get a little more controversial. Well, Bolsonaro's not conceding. He he waited a long time. So we'll find out what's going on when we talk to Jamal in the first hour. And in the second hour, from the Gateway Pundit, they had a lot of stuff on the Pelosi break-in, in theory. In theory, the break-in. I'm, I, I'll, I'll talk about it. But it's been hard to find factual statements about what actually happened to Paul Pelosi. Did you find that over the weekend? Um, I listened to the, uh, the statement from the uh, was that the police commissioner? I guess you would say, right? Uh, it was uh, and the DA in the back was in the background, and uh, you. That's what I listened to because the media were just going all over the place with what they were saying. And uh, they were vague, but the, the facts they gave kind of uh, paints a clearer picture. That to me, it's not a break-in. Yeah, no, I I agree. To you, it's what? No, I was saying to me, it's not a break-in because the uh, the police officer uh, the press conference said they found them in the home. Um, they didn't say anything about uh, anything about how he got in the home or how, which way he broke in. Uh, and then to find out the security detail outside the home, uh, you know, all that's just strange. No, I agree. That's very strange. And we'll talk about all of that with Jim Hoff and with the breaking news that one of the people behind the documentary, 2000 Mules, Catherine Engelbrecht and her associate have been arrested. And I would say this is another blow for press freedom. 
Have you ever heard about this? They arrested for not revealing a source. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I think the last time there was the uh, the guy who documented um, the Planned Parenthood was selling body, you know, baby body, infants body parts. He was arrested in California. I think that was another one like that. And again, it doesn't seem like they're arrested about the body parts. They're not upset about that. But he might have told someone that. Does that make sense? This whole case is mental, and it really shows where the bias of this Justice Department is. Would you agree with that, Rod? Oh yeah, 100%. Lee. Um, it's just, you know, <laughs> what can you say? It's just insane right now at the time we're in. And so we'll talk to Jamal after about that next hour. And we're taking your phone calls. 202-521-1320. Rod, take us out on the name of the show, won't you? You listen to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Okay, so uh, I guess where do you want to start? The Pelosi thing, probably, right? Uh, so first off, the Democrats over the weekend tried to make political hay of this. They tried to say that this guy is an ultra mega guy. And from what I've seen, do you know what he does for a living, David Dupepe, the alleged assailant in the Paul Pelosi case? Can you repeat that again, Lee? I was on the phone with Carmine. It's, uh, is Carmine going to be on? He'll be on late, uh, probably in the second hour. Okay, that's great. So, because Carmine's been following this too. I ask you what David Dupepe does for a living, how he earns his money. Um, I think it sounds like you know because you're you're laughing. I mean, I, this story just gets so unbelievable. From what I know, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. He's part of a nudist colony. Is, is that right? He may be, but that's not how he makes his money. Because even new people wear jewelry. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Even so you, yeah. Being a nudist, you can wear a ring or a bracelet or or a necklace, right? You're not really uh, the the hardcore nudist. Don't wear anything. A ring. They're not going to do that. But being in Berkeley and Northern California, he doesn't make just make normal jewelry. And 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 don't get the wrong impression. I'm not talking about genital piercings. I, don't go there, Rod. No, he makes hemp jewelry for a living. He makes hemp jewelry. Yeah, I did read. I did read that on uh, Friday, but I just you know so much other stuff has been coming out about him. But yeah, yeah. So so you forgot that, and it's easy to forget. But do you know anyone personally? Who makes or or wears hemp jewelry? Makes no wears. Yeah, I probably know a, a couple of people who wear jewelry like that. Really? Hipster type kind of people. Yeah. Yeah, you know cooler people than I know, Rod. We establish that. So, because uh, I don't, I I never heard of it. I don't understand how that's a thing. Actually, how is how does that exist? What's their hump jewelry like? Your hipster friends show off, Rod. <laughs> Tell us about it. It's just like a, a a necklace, but you know, made of hemp. So it's just not. It's honestly, it's not, you know, it's not really anything uh, fancy or anything. But uh, you know, so people who are like you know against 
uh, metal jewelry. So they want to wear something like hemp or talk about different other cloth or something like that. I believe medical uh, metal jewelry, particularly gold or silver, is more valuable. Correct. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can make. I don't. Well, I don't know. Maybe David makes a nice living, but I don't think you would. Now we have online the legendary killer of owls, the great owl killer, at two hundred two five two one thirteen twenty. Owl killer, what do you make? What's going on? Well, it sounds like a just in general. It sounds like a white supremacist to me. You know, uh, I think George Washington owned uh, hemp farms, so it, it sounds like uh, he was. Good point. Um, and, and, and yeah, exactly. You don't think Washington had white people picking that hemp, do you? Definitely not. Of course not. not. Of course not. Does, can, can, but can you, you see how this story's been all over the place? Didn't they initially attribute two QAnon sites to him, and now the sites are down? They don't. They were created that Friday and down by Sunday. So nobody. There's so much misinformation out, and I think that's a tactic where they put so many different um, points out. Well, I saw the sites. You know, maybe I look at things quicker than most people, but I saw statements they made, and he's definitely. And I'll say this again. You know, I've said. For a long time, QAnon is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I don't consider it a pro-Trump movement. It's an anti-Assange move. QAnon was created by the deep state to destroy Julian Assange. And it was Jack Vesovic and Mike Cernovich, after they did Pizzagate, they took the lessons they learned from that, which are people are really stupid. Pizzagate, the lesson was morons can be distracted from real news. Julian Assange did not do the work to vet the information he was releasing in order for it to end up with idiocy about Pizzagate. But they saw that and they helped promote it. So they came up with QAnon. I don't know if they came up with it. Someone came up with QAnon as a way of fooling people. And QAnon was, the first thing they did was anti-Assange stuff, lying about Assange. And also, they promoted Assange's number one enemy in government, and that's formerly Porker Mike Pompeo. Mike Pompeo. Mike, Mike Pompeo was Assange's biggest enemy, followed closely by Hillary Clinton. And, uh, they were saying, QAnon was saying stuff like, trust Kansas. That's their secret code name for him. Because they figure, let's give him, if we, let, let's not say Pompeo directly, but let's give, make it a puzzle for people. But a really easy one, because anyone who falls for QAnon are idiots. So we have to give them an easy puzzle. So he's a former uh, con- con- congressman from Kansas. So we'll call them Kansas, and that'll take people about two seconds to figure out, but they'll feel smart. So this guy being a QAnon follower, what they've said in the press is, therefore, he's a Trump fan. And QAnon is actually, QAnon itself was pro-Trump, but someone believing in QAnon does not indicate that they are Trump supporter, 
And by the way, even this guy entered the house wearing a freaking MAGA hat, even if he was wearing MAGA underwear, as he wouldn't have been since he's a nudist. What does that have to do with anything? Unless Trump told people don't understand free speech and they don't understand because people say stuff like someone on and I'll, I'll let you talk. I swear to God, I'll kill her. But people don't understand free speech. You actually it's one thing they say you can't yell fire in a crowded movie house. Actually, the course of rule you can. What you can't do, you can you can say, you know, a person can get up and say, I think Republicans should be shot. A person that's free speech. You can say that. But I cannot say Al Killer, shoot that specific Republican. Shoot, you know, if I say Al Killer, shoot Ted Cruz. By the way, that that's an example. I'm not saying it. Al Killer. Sit down, put the weapon down. Okay, you you done? So if I say owl killer, kill Ted Cruz, that on the other hand is illegal. Any level of specificity at all. Or if I say aim at that guy over there and I point in Ted Cruz's direction, that's illegal. So if this guy was a Trump supporter, so what? Trump didn't tell this guy to go into Pelosi's house, but Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were blaming Republicans for this guy over the weekend. And it's not clear to me at all that he's a Republican. I think he has a hodgepodge of political beliefs. Now, what say you, Al Killer? Thanks for your patience. How about just mentally ill? I mean, if if you want to if you want to pin that on you know Trump or or the MAGA movement, all right. So you wear the uh, the baseball shooter at, at the baseball game that said he was doing it for health care. And why was he doing it for health care? Because Bernie Sanders was telling everybody the Republicans are going to kill you. You're doomed. They're going to take your health care. That that's what he was doing. And I don't pretty think good Bernie there for it. I have way better Bernie. I'm great. But, uh, very talented. Hell of an act you got there. <laughs> yeah. I, I should, I, I should charge for that, to be honest with you. But, uh, I mean, how, what about Maxine Waters telling everybody getting it, getting their face? Um, um, when we, when they go low, we kick them. That was Eric Holder. So it's like they, you, you want to pick and choose, but nobody holds them accountable for, because I, I actually do think the, the Democratic politicians um, from 2016 uh, all the way up until the Black Lives Matter uh, riots and Antifa riots, I think they definitely fueled th- those fires 100% with their rhetoric. And not only the rhetoric, the rewarding people with bailing you out of jail and basically telling you, don't worry, we control these prosecutors and you're not going to get prosecuted for it. So. You know, when you bring up something like um, the 2000 Mules um, direct, uh, director, or uh, was it the director of the film that just got arrested? No, no, Dinesh is walking free. It was two people who did a lot of the research. Catherine Engelbrecht from True the Boat. I've known Catherine about a decade. Uh, you know, she- I haven't talked to her in a while, but. And you, but you do realize that 
unless there is a judge that says, nope, we've already decided that press does not have to reveal their sources, that's, that's already been established, she'll be convicted in a, and if she goes to a liberal um, jurisdiction where, it, like, say it's D.C., because I, I don't know who charged her, but it depends where her, whatever jurisdiction, they'll convict her just to get her the same way that they free that are clearly, like, the, the, with the Durham investigation, these people are guilty of sin, and they walk scot-free because they think that they're protecting their own, and, you know, they're getting back at, you know, they're getting back at the right wing by letting people that are, gu- that are clearly guilty of their charges, but then they'll convict somebody like a Steve Bannon. So, that, that's, the, that's the scary part uh, of the societal breakdown, where what happens when people say, I have nothing to lose? Because I can't get a fair shake. The government's against me. The other side that is supposed to be judging me is my peers don't give me a fair shake. That That is the scary part. Because people can look at it like, hey, I have nothing to lose. What are they going to do to me if I do something crazy? And I don't want to see it get there. But that is the... That's the when there's no trust in the system, that those are the type of reactions that people get. And I don't know if you've been paying attention to Tucker Carlson. Well, by the way, Alcala, let me just stop you because that brings up another. I'll let you go again, but uh, it brings up another headline I saw today. So I talked to I forget who the guest was, but I was talking about the feeling. Do you remember this? I said there's a sense of dystopia. A, a bizarre future that we're in. Yes. And I believe that's going on. Do you remember I talked about that? Yep. And it, I, 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 so, so there was a recent poll. This is the headline that caught my eye. A recent poll found, I think it's like 72% of Americans thought America is the phrase they used. Apparently, they asked him on the poll, do you think America's out of control. And that is what I was trying to sum up. The feeling of dystopia, the feeling that no one's really running things, that chaos rules. That's what I'm getting at. That sense of the modern, I'll put it like this. It's like a Radiohead song on acid. It feels like a lot of stuff we're seeing is a modern kind of disaster. So, Something you said, Al Killer, made me think of that. That's the sense that we have, that America is out of control. And by the way, someone noticing that is Vladimir Putin. That great speech he made last week, very important speech. Other people are noticing that not just America, but I said what I said about Israel having five parliamentary elections in two years or Britain having three prime ministers in two months. You know, if I told you we were going to go through two presidents in six months, a couple of years from now, you couldn't disagree, could you, Al Keller? You'd say, maybe, sure, why not? What the hell? Do you agree, Al Keller? And go on with yeah, the point you were making. No, de- definitely. And so I, I want I want to cuts back on on, on, on this uh, musical chair of leaders, but I, I want it, when you talk about the dystopia, so I I there was a movie, um, they made a sequel, um, it's probably about 10 years ago, I, I I think it's 
it, I think it was like Knocked Up was the first one, and then there was a sequel. But in the movie, like the people, Seth, Seth Rogen. Yeah, that it's with Seth Seth Rogen. But I noticed in the movie that in the in the sequel, you know, the people downsize. That you know, they're they're not making the same money. They they um they move into a smaller house, and it was I I just distinctly remember that type of accepting like the you know you where you are accept, accepting a bad outcome and i noticed the dystopia in tv shows in movies it's almost like we're being programmed to accept that your life is going to get worse and it, it, it just it i don't i think things like that do have an impact on the psyche 100 percent, and especially when you get into propaganda and understand how the cia and you know these people are, you know, how they not only pitch movie scripts, they offer advice on movie scripts. And I, I really think that we are being um, conditioned into accepting your life is going to be terrible. And when you talk about the music, the, how all these, le- like Israel, I, Israel was the, is the biggest basket case as far as. Well, let me just stop you there for one second, Al Keller, because I have a question. And I'll ask you, do you think your life is awful? You personally? No, that I I don't. But what what I will say is okay. So, so and that's why I stop you because I don't personally think my life is awful. And in fact, I see I could make the case that this is very much the world I dreamed of when I was, you know, in my twenties. Let's say. Because computers are so much faster and so much more capable now. And, uh, you know, it's true. Everybody's walking around with a supercomputer in their pocket. And when you can buy a phone with two terabytes of memory uh, or storage, that is a miracle. And uh, so, in a lot of ways, but I think. For people who back in the 80s and 90s were not keeping up with things, I saw back then that the American dream that those people had been taught, go to college, get a job, you know, and they'll take care of you. I always thought that was stupid. Back in the 80s and 90s, I was explicitly talking about how that's a mistake to think that's going to happen. I didn't grow up around, you know, people getting jobs like people in Detroit. The auto factories gave them jobs and they had a nice middle class or upper middle class living. But I was seeing that things were changing and that that wasn't going to be the way it goes. And a lot of people didn't adjust to that 20 years ago. Would you agree with that, Al Killer? No, I, I 100%. I definitely agree with that. Um, and, but it, what I want to, but the, it's the, but my, my point is that the site, the people that are, that the people that are supposed to be guiding people were giving people the wrong information. And now they have created people that are, that resent the system. So naturally, they're going to want to overturn it. And when you don't give them some type of sense of normalcy, 
when your when your elected leaders are and your the business people are clearly working against your interests, like you talk about Detroit, deindustrializing that entire area where it didn't matter white, black, didn't matter what you were, that you could actually take care of your family on your own salary and you could have benefit, you uh, you can have retirement and everything. What happens is when you see a country like Israel or the UK where they can't keep a leader, your people, somebody comes and says, I am going to fix it. I'm going to make it normal again. And they will go along with some radical ideas because the guy promises to make things normal again. And what they see is so upside down. Could it be they'll think it could it get any worse? That's what scares me. That's what really scares me. And Al Killer, we got to go because we got Jamal Thomas online, but a great conversation as usual. And I'll say something, Al Killer. You can tell sometimes I when I interrupt you, it's because I always enjoyed the conversations with you. And you frequently make me think of things. And so I go off and riff on them. But I appreciate your patience with me, Al Killer. And always a great conversation with the great Al Killer. Coming up. We have the great Jamal Thomas coming to us from an unknown location in Brazil. Hopefully the beach, and hopefully it's someone near him with the thong, and hopefully it's not David Dupepe, because that would be disturbing. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, Jamal Thomas from Fall Lines, from Brazil, on The Backstory. Backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington, D.C., the capital of the Empire of Lies. Joining us now, longtime host now, it's been a while, of Fall Lines with Thomas and whoever he's hosting with. Jamal Thomas <laughs> is in Brazil. Hey, Jamal, how you doing? What's going on, man? Doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing okay, yeah. I just, you know, you know, recovering. But how are you doing? Are are you on a beach by someone with a thong? I am not on the beach. It, it is a thunderstorm out there right now. Um, yeah, it's really? pouring down. It is pouring down. Now, are, yeah, but yesterday, are you in gorgeous. Rio or Sao Paulo or where in Brazil? So I'm in Rio, uh, Rio de Janeiro. Um, I came into Sao Paulo and then had to take a flight from Sao Paulo to uh, Sao Paulo to Rio de Janeiro. So that's why I'm now held up here. Um, I'm trying to reach out. We have one of our guests is working, I guess, in the headquarters um, during the elections. So I'm trying to reach out to her. But all things being equal, right now I'm in the hotel talking to you. So no worries. Now, have you seen any people dancing? I've never been to Rio, but I, for Uh some reason, picture while you're walking to a restaurant or whatever, there's people like line dancing down the street. Is so it can't be the way, can it? Funny you say that. Now, when I was in Panama, it was like that. Like if you're in Panama and you let's go to the gas station, there's music blaring. There's people like doing salsa in the middle of the street, just anywhere, random places. I went to a bar um, in the hotel and these people came down and all of a sudden just started salsa. Like anywhere you are, 
salsa just kind of starts up and everybody just starts right down dancing and everybody apparently knows how to do it and so it's this kind of random thing that you encounter i haven't encountered that here i've encountered where music is kind of all over the place and everything else it's a beach town and so a lot of the you know everybody's in flip-flops sandals a lot of people not wearing shirts bikinis etc so you have people with perfect bodies showing those bodies off in the beach and some with not so perfect but all things being equal yeah it's a beach town it's nice. It's not bad, actually. Have you spent? Have you you been there before? No, this is my first time in Brazil. First time in Brazil. I've really? been to Ecuador. I've been to Panama, but yeah, first time. Because you're first you're time. such a world traveler, Jamal. That it wouldn't surprise me if you you gone there before. Does, are you? I even wanted surprised? to come. Yeah. I, you I've always wanted to come. First time. I had the opportunity. We say it must be surprised. I never had got the opportunity to come to Brazil. Like I've spent like a lot of my travels. There's still several places I really want to go: Vietnam, China, Russia, etc. So I could check Brazil off my list. Sure. And yeah, this is good. It's, it was nice. And not to mention Lula won, so even better, even better. And so we'll talk about the election down there. But let me ask you a personal question first, Jamal, if I may, because okay. we we're talking about this with Owl Killer in the last half hour, and I I don't know the answer to the question that I'm about to ask you, because I don't know much about your personal biography. But here's one thing I know about you, Jamal. You're an independent thinker. So it would not surprise me if it's been for a while. At what point did you realize for yourself that your life was not going to be a standard life, like go, go to college get a job, get a health care plan, do that for 20 years, <laughs> then retire and die. Does that make sense? I, I know, yeah, it does make sense. I, I know um, about you, when I was 17. that you're the kind of person who uh, a while ago realized, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pursue a life that I want to pursue. And it's a lot of travel, for instance, and it's a job that provides flexibility if you have a job at all. Yeah. Does that make sense? Am, yeah. I, am I right, Jamal? It does make sense. No, you are right. Um, 17. 17. I was diagnosed with kidney failure, which pretty much just takes out the normality of a life out the window. You know, and meaning at the point where you've had like 30 surgeries up until the point where you're 30 years old, your life is just different. The point of view of the world is just different at that point. I mean, like everything from uh, being near death on more than one occasion, there's that. Um, yeah, it's it takes you into this um, weird space because what happens is in the United States, because of the way the healthcare system works, where you don't really have a healthcare system, you end up if you're younger and you get ill in a donut hole. So you're 17 years old, you're on let's say Medicare, Medicaid, and if you start working, you're going to lose your Medicare, and Medicaid. So what do you do? It puts you in this weird space of okay, so if I get a job, I'm going to lose my healthcare. Then to make this even worse, that means that you have to find some kind of position that allows you to kind of leapfrog into a position where you're making enough in order to pay your own way in healthcare and everything else. It puts you in a weird spot. Um, this was extremely depressing to me and very difficult, especially going from 17 to maybe 30, because that entire 10 years, I was just in the hospital constantly. So I'd go to school for a few months, hospital, go to school for a few months, hospital. And all through those months, there were like two major surgeries each year. By the time I hit 30, things balanced out. And by the time things balanced out, relationship, software engineer. And at some point, I realized I hated software. But
but I ended up starting a YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel was like the other woman. <laughs> like at the time I was married. And they were I would go to work all day from eight to five and then turn around to do my channel until maybe two in the morning. I did that for years. And so when I stopped doing software, the choice had to come up, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to get another software job that you hate? Or do you want to try to focus on the channel? At that point, I think I had maybe 15, 20,000 subscribers. The number eventually went up to 30,000 and some change. Um, and I started doing that full time. And that's when you and Garland end up bringing me on for spots. And I was coming there, I think maybe once a week. I would drive to DC uh, once a week in order to do the show. And at some point, it was like, okay, this guy keeps hanging around, give him a job. But no, my life, um, my life was complicated. Well, Jerome, let me and, say one thing. When you were doing a YouTube channel, that was at a point when you really had to figure out, not just you, anybody doing it, had to figure out a lot of stuff on their own. There were no classes yes. at that point, right? Uh -uh, Am I correct? No, there are no classes. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, basically, when I started my channel, I think it was around Sanders, and I was pissed off. <laughs> like, so a lot of those early videos was just me getting annoyed and getting pissed off. Somewhere along the way, it was like, okay, well, let's add a table. Let's add a camera. Let's add... And you start building, you start getting um, more depth at what you're doing, especially from the standpoint of information. Um, you start to realize that your opinion has to be somewhat encapsulated because there are going to be people on your channel who try to push you one way or the other. And you need to still be able to be you. That's a hard part to learn. Yes. Oftentimes, what you would see is when people are doing a live show, they would hear the audience and they'll start transforming themselves based on what the audience is saying. At some point, you have to be like, okay, yeah, the audience can F off. <laughs> this is what I think. Take it or leave it. And look, you can argue. And it's not like if you're wrong, you can't change your mind. That's not it. But it can't be you're leaning to the audience just because the audience has a particular point. Yeah, you can't do that. That takes a while to get over. By the time I'm working at Sputnik, though, my YouTube channel got better. Like, meaning working on the radio station made me more crisp and depth at understanding the stuff. And honestly, I would say Mendia was a mentor in this. Um, just, okay, this is right, this is wrong, this is a better way to do it. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? That's what puts you in this kind of pressure cooker where you have to grow um, and get better at your job. And so once I started working on stage for a year or two, my channel was better, meaning I got better just doing it, um, and just you know, doing the news and everything else from working on station. Yeah, there was a feedback between well, the two. And yeah, you're and right, that's not something you can learn. That's something people, you pick up on the go. People know. It's so people understand, Jamal and I, have great freaking jobs. Working at Sputnik is a is the best job I've, I've ever had. Would you agree, Jamal? Same, same, easy, easy answer. Now, I look, but, I was doing this before I was paid to do it. So put that in context, right? Yeah. Meaning before <laughs> before anybody paid me a dime, I was doing this. So yeah, I love it. But some people may look at love my it. job and go, "Lee works two hours a day, Monday through Friday." That's not true. And I know Jamal doesn't do that either. I work about no. 24 hours a day because when I'm not doing a show, I'm listening to the news and watching news and watching other people talk about the news and reading stuff Agreed. and reading books. And I know Jamal's the same way because the fear <laughs> is that I will show up one day and I, I'm not studied and my show will sound like this. Duh. <laughs> am, I, am i right you're right because look like you said these shows can be adversarial with meaning anytime you go on the show and anytime you bring in any guests you have to be ready for combat and 
look, not everybody is going to take your own political disposition on this stuff. And so you're stuck in this position. And I got to be honest, it's not really stuck. I mean, it, you either enjoy it or you don't. I'm one of those people that enjoy it. So I love documentaries. I love going through books, be it audio or otherwise. I love going through the various publications, the New York Times, RT, TAS, um, Washington Post, uh, what is it, Global Times, I mean, Foreign Policy, or Financial Times. Like, you have to basically be able to study all of this stuff in the media that works. Like, because you're basically doing analysis of global politics. And so it's not just what's happening in the U.S., it's what's happening all over the world. And you've got to be pretty adept at it to even be able to ask questions intelligently to the person who you're talking to is probably going to be an expert about it. And you don't want to look stupid when you're having the conversation. So, yeah, you're right. Oh, most of my day is spent consuming news, be it news, books, information of some sort. And so, yeah, I agree with you. It's not three hours. It's constant. Like, for example, if a random person comes on the show, like you said, whatever host he's with now, right, because we've gone through like five hosts in a year. Um, oftentimes what you see is they are in the wilderness on this stuff because it's one thing to study it, but you don't have context if you're studying it on the fly. And so oftentimes when they're on the show, they're like almost like a deer in headlights, especially when they first start off. Eventually they catch on to the thread and, you know, they can follow that stuff over a course of time. But you realize sometimes you don't realize how much information you consume over the course of, I don't know, I guess the course of years that you basically been doing it. Um, but you see it when somebody else comes on the show. You definitely see it then, because it's like, oh, right, that's why there's a difference <laughs> in our understanding of this stuff, because we cover this stuff every day. No, I agree with you. It's not um, three hours. It's not that. I mean, you spend most of your day consuming information. It's just part of the job at that point. You either love it or you don't. In this case, I love it. And especially since we cover a wide variety of topics, it's not like we only need to know about, for instance, you know, Cajun cooking or whatever, if we didn't show about that every <laughs> right. day. Right? We don't know what's going to be in the news cycle. Now, in the news cycle right now, they had the election, and it was very close, Uh correct? Between Bolsonaro and Lula. Absolutely. So Lula takes it, but by the skin of his teeth. I mean, basically, Lula ends up with 50.9%. Bolsonaro ended up with 49.1%. Extremely close race. And contentious. I mean, contentious to the point where Lula's people would call him balls and arrow, um, what was a cannibal and a pedophile. I mean, it was to that extreme. You have balls and arrow people calling Lula a Satanist, a communist, said that he wants to uh, what, give people abortions, shut down churches. Like, so this was like when the other two candidates or when the other candidates who was running against them, meaning the secondary candidates, when they left. At that point, it just became one-on-one, and at that point, there was no leeway. If you were somebody on the left, no, think, like me, you would say— I think the Lula. mistake oh, a lot of people—I think the mistake a lot of people make in looking at Brazil is trying to relate it directly to U.S. politics. So go, Bolsonaro's Trump, and Lula's like Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. and that's a mistake, I think. And the reason I say that is because America's— not thrilled with Bolsonaro, and they they haven't been. And I think Bolsonaro does not take, he's not Trump, for instance, and, and Lula's not, not Sanders. Do you agree with that assessment? Um, as a technical flat fact, he's not, but he is similar. I mean, look at what he's doing now, for example. When the COVID stuff came, he basically took Donald Trump's line on COVID. When the election stuff comes up, for 
the last for like a year up until the election. He's like, I'm not going to accept the results. Basically, if I lose, I was cheated. This fraud, this massive amounts of fraud and not necessarily showing any of that. And to make it even worse, he still hasn't made a comment on the election. Like this election has gone for an entire day now. And Bolsonaro has been basically quiet and everybody's wondering, OK, now what? Many of his supporters, people who basically backed him, that was in Congress and everything else, they basically came out and then congratulated Lula. It's like, okay, we grudgingly accept him. He's we're going to be the major opposition to Lula. And so, at, the, at to this point though, Bolsonaro hasn't said anything on social media. He was another person who used to use social media a lot. It's we have no idea what he's going to say. We have no idea what he's going to do. And at this point, everybody is waiting with bated breath to see what the president does. We have no idea. So there are well, definitely so, similarities. So on. On foreign policy, for instance, Lula, if, if he's the equivalent of a Democrat, he does not at all have the same foreign policy. L- no, Lula he's not a Democrat. One of people, right. He's one of the people yeah, he's not who a Democrat. founded BRICS, right? Uh-huh. He didn't talk That's about right. yeah. BRICS. What's going on with BRICS? Yeah, so BRICS is fascinating, man. I mean, all things being equal, and you're— as you know, Europe is taking it in the teeth right now. And for the foreseeable future, Europe is going to be colder and poorer going forward. There's no magical door for Europe. These idiots got themselves into bed with a 39% approval rating, um, mentally disabled president who jumped and took them off of a cliff. And so now they have no way out, not to mention they're now complaining about the United States taking advantage of them. Oh, we're paying four times as much for oil and gas. How dare you? Oh, you're the stupid idiots that decided to do that. You were dependent upon Russian oil, and you decided to start a proxy war. Okay, fair enough. There's that. While Europe is taking it in the teeth, there's a secondary organization or financial organization that is basically coming up, wrestling away this kind of hegemonic control from the West. BRICS, uh, Brazil, South Africa, China, and, of course, Russia. Now, these countries at this point have had many countries around the world wanting to get involved in BRICS, including Saudi Arabia, including Iran, um, and for that matter, including Turkey. So think about that. Turkey is part of NATO. By the same token, Turkey, NATO is a military organization that is associated with Europe and the United States. Well, Turkey, who's a key ally in um, NATO, is now trying to get into BRICS. Now, what does that mean? Now, it's one thing if Turkey decided to get into the European Union or something like that. No issue, because at that point, it's consistent. You're basically working with NATO and you're working in the European Union. There's a kind of dovetail in regards to policy. That's not what's happening, though. It seems that the rest of the world has decided that this notion of Western hegemony is old. They're tired of it. And so whereas Europe has basically isolated itself, three-fourths of the world is basically, we don't want any part of this. And not just we don't want any part of this. Many of those countries that used to work with the U.S., like Saudi Arabia or, for that matter, Turkey, are trying to get into BRICS or, for that matter, Shanghai Cooperation Organization. So you have a secondary economic order that is basically rising up at the exact same time that Europe has basically thrown itself off a cliff, set itself on fire, and slid its wrists just before it hit the ground. That's astonishing. So, yeah, it's a, it's a new, let's say, an economic model that is almost secondary to the European model. And Europe, for the foreseeable future, is not going to have a great time. I mean, these guys are turning down their thermostats. People may be freezing to death. The heat or the temperature of the money that they're paying from the standpoint of inflation or for that point, gas. They've deindustrialized their businesses, meaning thousands of businesses leaving either Italy and Germany, both of which economic powerhouses of Europe. This is not a picture of success. And now these guys are basically complaining to the United States. Oh, your Inflation Reduction Act is unfair. Who the hell are you? <laughs> Who the hell are you? And then it's like vassal states are now complaining. 
about what the U.S. does, as if they have any say-so or power to do anything about it. No, these guys at this point are now chained to us in a way where they are radically dependent, in a way that they weren't from sin. They were radically dependent on Russia, too, but at this point, they're paying, what, three, four times as much for that stuff than they were before. The industries can't afford it. Many of those industries are shutting down. You have businesses that were basically telling them in advance, dude, we can't afford this. You can't do this. Look at what's taking place in the UK. The pound is basically falling through the floor at parity with the dollar. The euro dropped through the floor below the dollar at this point. If these things are indicative of the strength of a particular country or, for that matter, the strength of a nation, what does that mean from the standpoint of the positioning and the framing of Europe now? It means they're screwed. And they're screwed at the time where the organizations like BRICS are sending. They did it to themselves. They slit their own wrists. They shouldn't have followed Joe Biden off of a cliff. They should have known better. Now, Sir Jamal, let me push back on one thing you said. You said that Bolsonaro, like Trump, is challenging the results of the election or, or not conceding immediately. Let me say that well, like Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Let me say that's like Hillary Clinton. The Democrats are mm-hmm. the ones who spent four years denying the results of an election. And we all saw it. Agreed. And in fact, the Democrats created a lie and blamed it on another country, Russiagate. So yes, you you agree with that, right, Jamal? Thousand percent agree. Thousand percent agree. That's the thing, right? When Democrats like to point out the Trump stuff, I often like to point out, well, dude, you didn't accept the results of the election either. Meaning, I get that Trump did it in a different way. Trump screamed fraud, that the election was destroyed, meaning Trump was willing to undermine the democratic order in and of itself in order to kind of push this notion that he didn't lose. Democrats did it in a different way, but they still did it. If you basically say that Trump is inelegant or Trump is gets in not by his own power, you're basically saying that the president got in through illegal means with help of another foreign country. I mean, even when they tried to get him to pass sanctions, basically saying, okay, Russia cheated in the election. Well, what does that mean? If you're If Trump passes that, then he puts himself in a position of basically agreeing that I didn't win on my own power, that I was helped by a foreign government. Now, when he didn't pass, they were like, oh, see, right there, he's working with Russia. It was stuff like that. They went on that nonsense for three years. And then finally, when the Mueller report came out, Trump was cleared. They just moved on. Oh, nothing to see here, folks. Don't get me wrong. They still claim that Trump was working with Russia, despite the fact that at this point, Christopher Steele was found to be nonsense. The all of the tape and everything else, the steel dossier and everything else, again, nonsense. They were trying to prosecute people basically lying, um, using that document to do so. So yeah, I agree with you. But I will point out, though, they did it differently. Democrats didn't necessarily want to challenge the integrity of the election from the standpoint of the legitimacy of the election. They didn't want to touch that. That's a hot reel. Trump hit it head on. And I guess my point is, Bolsonaro hasn't necessarily made a statement one way or the other at this point. We have no idea what he's going to say. But it's going to look super weird. If he spends the last year screaming that the electoral system is fraudulent. And by the way, on that point, the electoral system here is compulsory, meaning you have to vote. If you don't vote, you're going to get a fine or you have to explain why you didn't necessarily go to vote. Which means that when those people are going to the polling booths and everything else, there is an association with the person versus um, the, the vote. Meaning it's not a black box entirely. All things being equal, the machines and everything else. They were putting out the information for any and everything that went on with the machines in order to basically push back on any notion that the election was fraudulent. And so it's, I don't know, I don't know what he's going to say. 
He may, well, he may well, concede without conceding. You, Jamal, maybe something like that. You, you, you pointed out this compulsory voting in Brazil, and I think Australia has that as well. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. I don't know about Australia. Well, yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, there are countries with it. I agree with you on that. I could be mistaken, but I think it's, it's one of those Micronesia countries, Australia or uh-huh. New Zealand, I believe it's mandatory voting. What do you think of that system? Because I, I don't like mandatory don't, things in general. I don't know. I see I don't, where there yeah, are some advantages. Yeah, go ahead. I, I feel you on that. I, I think, oh man, I'm sketchy on that. I'm not sure. Part of me likes the idea that you get people to vote and you push them to do so. Part of me also likes the idea, though, that sometimes not voting is your way of voting. Like, meaning, if I don't like any of the choices that I'm posed with, why are you forcing me to pick a choice? Like, if I'm stuck with Clinton and Trump and somebody else, then I'm not voting in that election. I'm just not. Or Clinton and Biden. I'm not voting in that election. Why would I? I'm dissatisfied with both choices, which in a weird sense, my non-vote is a vote in and of itself with no confidence in both. And let me say, the Libertarian Party for decades has had the idea that you should have a none of the above option. If you have Agreed. two candidates, for instance, and I would be in favor of mandatory voting if we had a none of the above option. And if none of the above wins, it's a do-over <laughs> with new candidates. Does that make sense, Jamal? It does make sense. That's funny, and it does make sense. It's basically a vote of no confidence. It's a vote of no confidence. Right. That's I don't exactly like any of these right. people. Well, I'm curious. What do you and think it, would have happened in the last election if they would have had a none of the above candidate? I think they would have won. I think none, none of the, the above yeah, would have won. And then yeah, I don't think anybody was happy to with the choice. The party has to nominate a new candidate. And I think eventually, because right now, if... Nobody likes the candidate. And by the way, just flatly, do you think Joe Biden was legitimately elected at this point? Yes or no? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm just yes. I think he's legitimately elected, but it wasn't like it was a great choice. So I don't think it was legitimate. And my argument is that the press burying a story and social media oh, burying a story. I see. That makes it illegitimate. What, I see, what do you think? I see. No, look, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I, so I guess you've got to break that in two ways. In one sense, do I believe that the electoral system itself and the way that Joe Biden was elected was fair? Yes, Joe Biden got elected. It, you know, the process was the process. Do I believe that the way the media treated the system was correct? No. And on that, I agree with you. Because you can make an argument that it's somewhat of a soft coup in a weird way. I mean, all things being equal, you had a story that came out for Hunter Biden that these guys basically buried. Social media literally buried that story. They put New York Post and Twitter jail over that story. And that story was flat, fat, completely true, and was truer than the Trump and Biden nonsense. I mean, the Trump and Russia nonsense that they were peddling for three or four years. Now, the reason they did that is obvious, right? In equal, you had the Hillary Clinton campaign when she was running against Donald Trump. They had the Comey stuff come out. You had the Clinton email stuff come out. And their fear was that a Clinton email type scandal would take place with Joe Biden if people could see the associations with Hunter Biden and things that were basically going on, even including those letters. I mean, some of those letters where Joe Biden was like, I know nothing about my dealings with my son. Yes, I was vice of Ukraine by the same token. My son was um, 
part of this most corrupt energy company ever, Burisma, even though he knew nothing about oil, knew nothing about, I'm sorry, knew nothing about gas, and knew nothing about Ukraine. Didn't know anything about any of those things. So he was obviously there because his last name was Biden and because of political connections that he would allow. So you get this kind of weird situation where Biden's like, I knew nothing about this. I never talked to my son about this, despite the fact that we were working basically in the same country with, let's say, um, nefarious ends and doing so. He was getting, what, 88000 a month or something insane about a crackhead making that much money. So under that guise or under that particular system, you see information come out that creates association between what Hunter Biden was doing and Joe Biden himself. I mean, one of those emails pointed out that there was an executive from Burisma that wanted to meet Biden and that it seemed that that meeting took place. I mean, the email was like, thank you for introducing me to your dad. And my first question was, does he have more than one dad? I mean, clearly the person he's talking about is Biden. Even the big guy stuff, where it's like, who's the big guy? Well, the big guy is obviously Joe Biden. Like, people can see that and think to themselves, okay, this looks corrupt. That looks problematic to me. Maybe I don't want to vote for that guy because that guy's compromised. That's a fair assessment that a person can give. We're almost out of time, so I got to cut you short. Let me ask you, final question, yes or no. Jamal, will you have time to enjoy yourself in Brazil? I hope so. Do you have any leisure activities planned? Well, it's been work for the last two days. So, and yesterday I was at the right. uh, Sputnik studio in Brazil. So, maybe, hope so. The last couple of days, yes. Okay. So, enjoy yourself. Stay safe. Great appearance, as always. The great Jamal Thomas from Fault Lines, right here on Sputnik. Oh, thanks, man. And, oh, appreciate yeah, it, man. No, appreciate it. Always love talking to you, Jamal. Always a great conversation. And we did, we, we got through a whole conversation without bringing up UFOs which is impressive for us. So Jamal Thomas from Fall Lines. When we come back, there's more on the Pelosi break-in. And I think it's Carmine Mundy. And I think Carmine Sabi will be with us. Let's take a short break and bring you more on the backstory. Backstory, the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. So, Rod, it's always a great conversation with Jamal. Do you, you learn anything there? Yeah, I, did, I didn't know Brazil had uh, compulsory voting. What do you think? What would you think about the U.S. moving to that sort of system? If we built in a none of the above option, the um, uh, I think I'd be for it. I think I'd be for it because a lot of times we do have uh, when, it's, when it comes down to the last two candidates, they're both bad. Yeah, and I, I like the idea because it would you know, for instance, how many votes there should be. Right now, you don't know how many votes there should or shouldn't be because. Anybody cannot register to vote. Does that make sense? But if you've got a thousand people in a town, let's say, you should have that are eligible to vote. Under mandatory voting, you have a thousand votes, right? Correct. And under our current system, you could have 400 votes. 
and could be or not. And joining us now, the great Carmine Sabia on a Carmine Monday. How you doing, Carmine? Oh, man, I had some stuff today I had to deal with, but uh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Well, we're happy to have you because we want to talk to you about the Pelosi break-in and a lot of weird stuff on that. But Carmine, also, because you do some of the most enthusiastic intros to take us to the boom. So take it away, Carmine. Save you. Take us to the boom. This is the backstory. Another winner there. So let's quickly go to the calls. We've got Tarif, and then I want to talk to you about David Dupepe. And all yes, I think legitimate questions and illegitimate questions, because I saw a lot of bad reporting on both the left and the right from the mainstream media yes. and the independent media. People reporting rumors, but we'll talk about that in a second. 202-521-1320. Tarif, what's on your mind? Yeah, I'm doing. Thanks for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free zone and signs. Oh, okay. Um, about three or four times on Twitter, I'm trying to you know post some you know posting tweets on um Elon Musk's um tweets. You know, sometimes when you, when a person tweet, if you catch them within a minute or two, you'd be in the top thirty or or the top ten, right? Or maybe even the top hundred. And I noticed when I post, okay, damn, I posted. Wow, that means a lot of people are going to see your your tweet. But apparently, my my tweet is, is still being pushed down, ghost banned, and shadow banned. It seems like, uh, from, from what I understand, he had they have yet to fix that system of shadow banning people, ghost banning people, and you know, search banning people, or even people priests being pushed all the way down from the, from. The, from the top 10 tweets on the thread down to the top 10,000 tweets. So we still got a long way to go. I hope they fix it. If not, that means he's selective and he's only going to give um, uh, certain people um, justice, not everybody, if they don't fix it. But that's what I'm looking for and everybody else looking for to see when we, you know, stop getting shadow banned, when the, stop, the bot stop coming our way and Things of that nature. That's when, that's when we know that things are changing, you know. And also, uh, Elon Musk. Um, I mean, there's going to be revolutionary if he do change it. I hope he changes, and I, and I do hope um, Trump comes back because I want to jump on his Twitter thread, you know, to get <laughs> the most exposure out there for myself. And I advise everyone to do it because if you want a tweet to be heard, jump on somebody else's else Twitter thread. You know, you. The tens of thousands of people see you. So I hope, and also I hope Trump comes out and says something about stop nuclear war and also invest in the United States. That I think that'd be helpful. Thank y'all. That's all I wanted to say today. So great culture, Eve. And I, you, you know how hope comes back. Jim Hoft. Jim Hoft, our guest this hour, was also banned from Twitter. And I hope Jim Hoft, the Gateway oh, Pundit. Is brought back. What do you think about that, Carmine? I would love to see Jim come back. Me, Jim used to follow me. I used to follow Jim. And also James O'Keefe. I journalists are the people I care about. Does that make sense, Carmine? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, So let's go to one more call. 
Ingrid from DC, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Well, thanks, Lee. I want to talk about the Election Day action for Assange, but just a couple quickies. Elon Musk apparently uh, made a sarcastic tweet about the New York Times being fake news, so good for him. And uh, as far as your voting none of the above, I don't really like it. It's, it's kind of like these people who criticize everything but have nothing to offer. We already have a vote-in option write-in options. So if you don't like any of the above, it, that's pretty clear if you write in somebody's name, even if it's your dog. So um, on the on the election day for Assange action, um, you know, we recently had a very successful protest at the Department of Justice here. A lot of people came. It was a really inspiring rally. However, outside of the usual bubble, Nobody really even knows it happened because it wasn't covered by any any uh, mainstream media. The, the only way to make inroads into the general public is to go where they are, not try to get them to come to you. And that's the idea behind this campaign, to have people do many actions in their own polling locations as people are going to the polls to be like an electioneer and stand with a sign. And it's a minimal kind of ask because we've made up a sign. We boil it down to the core information on that sign, which is um, assangedefense.org. That's how people could go to get more information. And our email address, dcactionforassange at gmail.com. And the vote for Assange is meant to stimulate con- conversation, like, what do you mean? And if somebody goes to a poll and stands there for half an hour and has two conversations with two strangers or people that they know that didn't think about Assange before, that's 200% more than staying home and doing nothing. So that's what the campaign is. We're hoping people will go out on Election Day and campaign for Assange. Great call. Thanks for updating us on that, Ingrid. Now, a great call as usual. So, Carmine, let me ask you, you're following the Pelosi story over the weekend. What do you think? You know, one example of this, I saw a lot of people in the left mainstream media, as well as the right media, saying David David, uh, Pepe was in his underwear when the police came. And I asked people, where's the proof of that? And I believe I did. Right, because you saw it everywhere. And the mainstream media reported it, but they did not cite a source. Do you believe it now? I I don't believe it now. Not not now that we know the truth. Um, And I think that's a shame, because let me tell you something. As a conservative, as a person who is certainly no fan of Nancy Pelosi and her policies. I absolutely, in every term possible, condemn what happened. We cannot have this type of thing in our country. Political violence has no place. You've, we take out, if we don't like a politician, we write letters. We vote for other politicians. We vote them out of office. We protest. We have things we can do. Violence is not an option. But... It's obvious to me that this guy was fundamentally mentally ill. He was living he, in a school bus outside was, his house 
and previously he lived in a storage container. You've heard that yeah, stuff, right, Carmine? Yeah, I don't think this is a guy that subscribes to a political party. I think this is a nut. This is a nut. Um, you know, but here's the thing that bothers me, though, a lot, is that they're basically saying to the Republicans for the last week of the, of the, of the election, well, you can't campaign against Nancy Pelosi right now because of what happened. And I'm like, All right, what, is that a joke? Uh, when when Steve Scalise was shot, did you stop campaigning? When Chuck Schumer said what he said about the Supreme Court having to pay for what they did with Roe versus Wade, and somebody tried to assassinate Kavanaugh, did he did he stop campaigning? Did did, did anybody left even apologize? Did Joe Biden even address the fact that somebody tried to assassinate a Supreme Court justice when a kid got killed weeks ago? Because the guy who ran him over with a car said he was part of a, he, he believed he was part of an extreme right-wing cult. I heard no condemnation, no saying we have to stop this rhetoric. We have to bring the, quote, temperature down, which I believe we do. But you can't just say it when it happens to one side and not the other. That's, that's insanity. Um, and I can go on. There's actually more cases. The, the attack on Rand Paul. Where was the calls for, hey, stop campaigning against Rand Paul because or Zeldin, he was attacked. Lee Zeldin. The, the attack on Lee Zeldin. I, I've seen no calls for anybody to stop doing anything in light of those things. So come on. Come on, bro. Well, you, the hypocrisy is, is amazing. And it's the hypocrisy for the media, too. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think you wouldn't even get this much of it if it wasn't there. Like, hey, it's a week before the election. If we can get them to stop campaigning for the last week about firing Nancy Pelosi, maybe we got a shot at this thing. Heck no. Firing Nancy Pelosi and attacking Nancy Pelosi are not the same thing. Right. Calling for her. And, and I'll say this. There's enough weird questions about this that I think is legitimately some things that can be questioned. For instance, but Biden, Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris were explicitly putting this at Trump's feet. This guy is not an example of ultra mega. Do you see many people at Trump rallies a naked? He was a nude activist, and his partner Gypsy Taub. Have you looked into her at all? Uh, no, but she looks like a nut. I saw her Facebook page. Well, you say she's a nut, maybe in New Jersey, but in Berkeley, she's your neighbor. She's a typical Berkeley person. And she's a public nudity advocate. And Gypsy Tab is her name. And you can find lots of pictures of her with this guy, David Dupepe. And uh, at their house, they have a Black Lives Matter poster. You've seen that, of course. I have not. Oh, they have these, a Black Lives Matter poster not, outside their house. These are not these are not hardcore MAGA conservatives, and that's ridiculous to even pretend that they are. Right. They're anti-authoritarian sort of people in a kind of wacky way. A kind of very anti-government people, but crazy anti-government people. But uh, you call it crazy. But let me say again, for Northern California, not so crazy. Does that make sense? If you're North, if you're in Jersey, you probably don't have any public nudity advocates next door. We do not. I, but in, I'm Berkeley, aware of. In, in Berkeley, that's not 
that weird. Public nudity is a thing. And I would say the weather is a factor there. So let's play the clip. We have Joe Biden talking about this assault. And well, let's hear it. Hit it. President Biden now uh, in these remarks. They're still happening live there in Philadelphia. He took the moment to address the Pelosi attack right off the top of these remarks. Listen. Thank you. Please take a seat if you have one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please have a seat if you have one. Take a seat. Folks, before I begin, I want us to take a short pause to send our love to Nancy and Paul Pelosi. You've seen the news. He was attacked in their home. And uh, when I spoke to the speaker, she said that uh, he's doing okay. He went to the hospital, was operated on. And uh, he seems to be coming along well. Uh, he's in good spirits. And the whole family's there. While this invasion is ongoing, the, uh, the news reports indicate it was intended to be an attack on, Na- on the house Nancy Pelosi lives in, the third ranking person in the United States in line to be president. You know, uh, it's reports that the same chant was used by this guy they have in custody that was used on January 6th in the attacks on the U.S. Capitol. I'm not making this up. This is reported. I can't guarantee it. I can tell you what's being reported. The chant was, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? This is despicable. There's no place in America. There's too much violence, political violence. Too much hatred, too much vitriol. And what makes us think the one party can talk about stolen elections, COVID being a hoax, there's all a bunch of lies, and it not affect people who may not be so well balanced. What makes us think that it's not going to corrode the political climate? Enough is enough is enough. Every person of good conscience needs to clearly and unambiguously stand up against the violence in our politics, regardless what your politics are. And so I think he means every person needs to oppose violence against Democrats, no matter what your politics are. Call that out. But don't call out, because I remember in 2016, Do you remember all the violence against Trump supporters? Men, women who had eggs thrown on her? I don't know if you remember that in 2016. But there was violence after violence against Republicans. And no one's supposed to notice that. What say you, Carmine Sabia? They they won't even talk about it. They don't even talk about it. And the media, by the way, doesn't even say anything like it's crazy the media doesn't bring it up at all and i actually i heard something interesting over the weekend carmine i was listening to the news as i do 
from a variety of sources. And I heard something on NPR, and they had a woman on who used to be the public editor at the New York Times and the Washington Post. And it started the story saying that 29% of the people, according to a recent poll, don't trust the media. So this woman, who is a public editor at the Times and the Post, she explained why the public doesn't trust the media. And do you know the answer? Fox News. <laughs> she said she said Fox News. She said the media is supposed to have a left-wing bias, but actually they were too easy on Trump. And I'd say if 29% of people trust the media, first off, I think that's high over who should. It's because they get stories factually wrong for reasons of bias over and over. And this woman had no sense of that. They have no sense that all I wanted to get, get, and I'm sure you're the same way, because I know you come on, and this is why I love you. You're interested in the facts. If the guy was in his underwear, Correct. that's either true or not. And Correct. I don't think it is, but that's but, not no, it's based not. on bias, right? Does that make it's sense? Not. I was I, I was legitimately I, asking. I just want the facts. And I don't like And the do Democrats that. don't play that game. Agreed? Agreed. I remember when Steve Scalise was shot and what they were doing was blaming the gun. It wasn't the fact that he was a rabid fan of Rachel Maddow, the guy the shooter. That had nothing to do with it. It wasn't the fact that he was a Bernie Sanders supporter. It was the gun. That's all they wanted to talk about. Did you know I was the first reporter on the scene for that? No, I did not know that. I was. It's, it was five minutes from the place I lived in Arlington. It was five minutes down the road. So I told my son Shane, I said, we got to get down there. As soon as I heard the story break, I said, we got to get down there. So basically, I got down there. But I saw no reporters there. So And I, I saw Jeff Flake. And uh, Scalise. And uh, that guy also was the guy who was living in his car at the park. So oh, really? he obviously had some mental problems. And let me bring up a story that got very low coverage. And I think it's one of the biggest stories of the last year. The guy who drove his car into the Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, that jury found the guy guilty, and I think he had 53 charges, but I heard almost no media coverage of that. They mentioned the verdicts, but I thought that was a major terrorist incident and racist, right? Absolutely. You both. follow that story, right, Carmen? He had a lot of anti-white stuff on his page, on his Facebook. And he killed four people and injured like 53 people. A major terrorist incident, but also that guy was shouting out during his trial. He was also clearly mentally ill. So two things can be true. The guy, and I think it's true with this case, the guy was mentally ill. As I say, he lived in a storage unit. And you've seen storage units. Would you want to live in one? Pretty small. Right. And it's like the guy in the Scalise shooting. He was living in his car. 
He was mentally ill and a Sanders supporter. Now, I think the mentally ill part is more of a factor, but I think it's true. Therefore, don't say anything other than he's a Sanders supporter. And this guy, there's no evidence that he was a Trump or MAGA supporter. You say he was none. And here's the other question, though, Lee. I don't know how much money you make. I don't know how much money you make. I'm going to assume it's not as much as Nancy and Paul Pelosi. Um, if I was but making if you as did much make- as them, I would be in the next hotel suite. I would be the higher priced hotel suite from where Jamal Thomas is. You know, it's kind of cold mm. here. So I would, if I had millions of dollars, I'd head down to Rio, Rio de Janeiro, and I'd bring oh. you too, Carmine. Thank you. My question is, if you were a high-profile person with that kind of money, you got no security in your house? Well, it was reported that someone let the police in. Who's that person? We don't know who, but Politico reported the third party was there and let them in. And I hypothesized that was a security person, possibly. Does that make sense? That's a valid question. And I think there are some valid questions. Unless it was a butler or something, but you're the, you're the, you're the Speaker of the House. Now, I know she wasn't there, but you're the Speaker of the House. How, well, also, how, how is a person third line? How, what, what disturbs me most about this is how can somebody get to the person who's third in line for the presidency that easily? And when Paul Pelosi crashed his car a few months ago, there was someone else in the car. We don't know who that person is, right, Carmine? I don't know who it is. It has not been reported because you keep up with the news, but it's Uh, not been reported. I think we have some sort of right to know who was in the car with Paul Pelosi. And if it's a security person, say that. I don't think we need to know, you know, their name and address necessarily because I don't think there's any indication they did anything wrong. But I want to know who it is broadly. Does that make sense, Caroline? I think we all do. So bottom line, what do you think you know for sure? Because they they indicted this guy today. The DOJ indicted him. I noticed he was charged with elder abuse. Now, my understanding of elder abuse, okay, I was talking to my girlfriend about this. I don't think elder abuse, if you, Carmine, beat up, I'll use my girlfriend. Let's say she beats up a random 60-year-old guy. I don't think she'd be charged with elder abuse. But let's say she beats up me. I think she would be because the difference is she's she's a caretaker to me. Does that make sense? Correct. I don't don't think elder abuse is going to stick. But the other charges should and will. I, this guy's going to probably do a long time in prison. And he should. He'll undoubtedly. Yes, undoubtedly. Because he attacked a Democrat. Correct. And I would, uh, I, I, would love for, I would love for the laws to be the same no matter who. But, but we know how that works. The charge, the charge I have not seen, and maybe I've missed it. If I'm wrong, I'll say it. I've not seen him charged with breaking and entering. Have you seen that, Carmine? Think back. Oh, hot. I have not seen that. Now, so why do you think that is? 
Because there's some I mean, question about look, how he got in the house. I would have to look at a list of charges. And this is what I'm trying to say. There's something weird about this because I can't believe that it's this easy to get into the house of Nancy Pelosi. That scares me even more. It shouldn't be this easy. Especially when there was a third person in the house. And you don't have even an alarm that would go off that would link directly to the police station, by the way. Because the Speaker of the House lives there. There's no alarm. Well, also, I, everybody's got a million cameras now. Amazon, I, I'm just saying, Amazon has made these ring doorbells very cheap. You know, so a lot of people... If, even if you don't own cameras, Dude, your neighbor cam- may own okay, one just because of Just because of my job, Lee, you know how our job is, okay? We make enemies, right? Because of my job, I have cameras, I have barricades on my door, okay? And I'm just a, 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 a news guy. Yeah, so I, and also, the police undoubtedly were wearing body cams, right? I want to see the, the body cam footage, and l- at least I want that to come out. There's all sorts of camera footage, and so far I've seen no camera footage at all from anywhere, and that's weird to me. Have you seen any camera footage on this case? Not a not a not a not a morsel, not a not one second worth. Not a pixel. So, and do you believe the police were wearing body cams? Had to be. How could they not? So body cam footage. From when they were in the bedroom would undoubtedly explain a lot of things. But where this story is going, I believe, is the footage, some footage is going to come out. And I don't know what it's going to show. But let's take a short break and then we'll talk to Jim Hoff, one of the most well-read news publishers in the world. From the back, we'll talk to Jim Hoff from the Gateway Pundit next on on what Carmine on the backstory Backstory and on the radio 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington, D.C., the capital of the Empire of Lies. Joining us now, great friend of the show, one of the most well read publishers, independent publishers in the world, the great gateway pundit Jim Hoff. Welcome, Jim. Hi, Lee. Thank you for that very kind yeah. introduction. Well, you know we admire you, Jim. Thanks for all. Have you heard anything, by the way? You were one of the people I said, when you were banned from Twitter, that especially bugs me. And not just because I like Uh, you, because you're a journalist. Have you heard anything about, with Elon, I don't know, have you heard this? Apparently, Twitter was bought by this guy. He's (laughs) apparently Elon Musk. Have you heard that, Jim? I, I heard the news. Yep. Yes. Now, have you heard anything at all about being unbanned? Did you get some email, anything from Twitter? 
Um, you know, I uh, every once in a while I will uh, write them an email and, and uh, ask to, for them to lift my suspension. Um, I did uh, a few days ago. I haven't heard anything back. Uh, as you recall, Lee, uh, when we were banned from Twitter, uh, we had a few of these uh, strikes against us because of uh, some of the things we reported on the COVID virus, like the fact that it was created in a lab, like the fact that the CDC had a statement out that said only 6% of the people who died from COVID, actually, it was from COVID. The rest had several comorbidities. So those were the types of things they, they gave us strikes for, something you know that was actually printed and published in, in the CDC website. Um, the final straw was when uh, in, in February of 2021, we released exclusive footage from inside the TCF Center in Detroit from November 3rd. Uh, actually, it was November 4th of 2020, the night following the election where this mysterious van comes driving in and drops off uh, 61 boxes of ballots in the middle of the night that cannot be traced. Um, we still believe that was a very, um, actually, an, an excellent uh, report. Again, Lee, we were the only ones in the country who got that footage. Um, and the media, before we released that footage, had said that this was a fake story. This did not happen on election night. Well, we proved them wrong. We put up the video, and that's when Twitter banned us from their social media platform uh, uh, the next day when we said we were going to release more video. Um, so, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. It's totally unfair. Um, and, uh, but we haven't heard anything yet. I hope we do though. And, and are you hopeful, you know, and that can be a dangerous thing to be sometimes, <laughs> but are you yeah. somewhat hopeful? Oh, oh, about the whole platform. Yeah. I, 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 yes. uh, you know, with, with Elon, I think he's a different animal for sure. Um, I think he's going to really, you know, I, I I noticed something last night. He said that this Joel Roth, who was uh, one of the players at, at, at Twitter who uh, bans Trump and bans, you know, a lot of conservatives that, you know, Elon says, oh, he's a good guy. Well, I think I think what's going to happen, my prediction is. Elon's going to he's going to learn what the rest of us have known for a long time and that the, the left can be very vicious. And if they want to destroy you, they will go all out to do it. I think Elon is about ready to to find that out himself. Um, and we've already seen hints of that uh, from some of the reports in the media. But, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I am grateful there are other platforms out there. I go to Telegram a lot, you know, for your for your readers out there. I go to Telegram. I go to Getter. I think they have a great live stream option. I go to uh, Trump Truth Social. Um, uh, our Facebook uh, page has been pretty much shut down. You know, um, we don't do a lot with that today, which is unfortunate because we were the top four conservative uh, Facebook platforms in 2016 when Trump was elected. So they immediately had to shut down our influence. That they they did that very successfully. Um, but there are other platforms out there. I would like to see Twitter come back to some sort of uh, relevance. Um, but, you know, time will tell. So let me tell you my theory. Uh, you, you said you think Elon couldn't be learning something. My take on Trump is Trump was a guy who has been in the media spotlight for decades. He's been, at, of course, he hosted The Apprentice. 
He's been in media before. And I think sure. he went into politics thinking he understood the media because yeah. he did more than most people. He understood the media, but he had never dealt with the political media. And so I think Trump was surprised by how vicious and dishonest the political media is. And I think yeah. Elon Musk is a guy who's dealt with the media for a decade or so. And he's had a lot of stories. He's about to learn that the political media is different. And it's impossible to know about until you experience it yourself. Is yeah. Do you think that's right, Jim? I think that's very correct, uh, Lee. And um, I think um, we're also seeing today something that's much different than when we met back in 2009, around that time, uh, the, uh, things have changed significantly. And we see today that the media is not just, uh, it's not just the, the players that you see on TV and in the, in the, in the uh, reported newspapers, but the media also involves a lot of intelligence operatives today. We know the media involves, there's a great story I'm reading right now by Lee Fang um, for, about the Facebook portal and how uh, Facebook was, you know, uh, partnering with all of these liberal groups and uh, liberal politicians to uh, to to shape the narrative in America. We know that's been happening. It also happened. I'm going to write a report on this today. Um, this also happened with Twitter. There was a special uh, special place inside of Twitter that if you were in the club, you could go and you could decide who the, you know what information you were going to shut down. And it involved, uh, you know, the, the tech giants, uh, Democrats and uh, social media players. So, uh, you know, that's that's a lot different today than what we saw back in, uh, you know, 10 years ago. Um, they're very powerful. But, you know, uh, things are starting to leak out about how coordinated they are. And um, I, I, I have to hope that there's going to be some changes made. So. Carmine Savia, it's Carmine Monday, by the way, Jim. We're joined by the great Carmine Savia, who's co-hosting. Carmine Savia, give me any questions or comments for Jim Hoff from Gateway Pundit. Carmine. Hey, Jim. How's it going, brother? Hi, Carmine. Hey, man, listen, I'm just wondering your thoughts on this whole Pelosi thing, man. What do you think's going on there? <laughs> you know, this is so crazy, isn't it? So, um... Uh, it took the media tell, uh, and, and it took the, uh, the the police officers and and the establishment till Monday afternoon to release their report on what happened. Uh, we heard several different stories over the weekend. The the police had to come out and correct themselves a couple times because of some of the things they said, like the fact that uh, someone else opened the door, like the fact that they they were fighting over hammers and not just one hammer. So they had to correct themselves. I think today we see this report come out and, you know, I think the, the thing that I've noticed the biggest development in this whole story is the fact that there's a huge, huge block of Americans who don't trust the thing the media says anymore. So they're not going to believe this story today. I thought the odd thing about this criminal report that they released today, and I just put this up at Gateway Pundit, is the fact that they're saying that this man broke in the house, went upstairs to find Paul Pelosi, who was still asleep after his house got broken into. Um, I don't know how many of your listeners out there have uh, their own home system, and I'm not going to sleep if my house gets broken into. The alarm is too loud, okay? Well, that's what I'm saying. The, the, pardon me? That's what I'm saying. There's no alarm? 
Yeah, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And then the fact that he tells Paul Pelosi he's tired and wants to take a nap. Very strange thing for somebody who just broke into the Speaker of the House's home. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that still don't add up. Uh, this this guy has a very far-left background. You know, obviously, he's from Berkeley. He's married to a nudist. Uh, he's He has a drug addiction that we're, you know has been written about. Um, and yet he's they're trying to tell us he's a big conservative, you know, and QAnon guy. So, you know, who knows? I just, you know, I think at this point, a lot of people have just uh, tuned it out and they're not going to believe what, what they're going to be told by the regime. And uh, I don't blame them. I just checked uh, for both of you. I just checked the official uh, criminal complaint and the charges. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to look again real quick, but... I, I don't see breaking and entering anywhere. Interesting. Right. Yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. And I, I find that significant because if they charge them with elder abuse, sometimes the police do overcharge. In other words, they charge things that they're going to end up dropping later. It seems to me if they charge them with elder abuse, they would charge them with breaking and entering if they were overcharging. Does that reasoning make some sense, guys? I think so. Yeah, I think you're right on. Yeah, there's a lot of questions that uh, you know need to be asked, and uh, unfortunately, if they, you know, I talked to our lawyer today. If they move this to a federal prosecution, then that may um, allow the the federal government to to uh, create the narrative and release what they want you to know. So, you know, uh, it's very disappointing. Um, and there's a lot of question marks in this in this whole story. And Jim, you know, one of the ways you're not treated fairly and uh, is that if you make a mistake, if you report something that's inaccurate, for instance, there was a report out that the, the assailant, David Dupeve, was in his underwear. But yeah. if you report that, they're going to use it against you. They're going to say, Jim gets stuff wrong. Gateway Pundit, right wing site. But I saw a number of mainstream media sources, a number of mainstream media, local news sources report that same thing. They reported that, but they don't get sure. hammered. The no. same, you know, maybe bad choice of phrase on my part, but I'm saying <laughs> they don't get. <laughs> All I meant was yes. they don't get attacked the same way you do. Yeah, yeah. And oh, you absolutely. get attacked by, by media outlets, right, Jim? Oh, it's just constant. It's just constant. And, well, uh, here, you know, I put, our, if you I, might, I put our record, Lee, I would put our record up against the mainstream media anytime. I mean, they've been so wrong on so many stories. I mean, even this weekend, a lot of the uh, Twitter hashtags that are coming out is um, Pelosi, uh, Smollett, right? Because because that's and it reminds you of another story that the media got completely wrong. It was completely made up, and it was so obvious it was made up. So um, the Jesse Smollett story. So the media gets away with it. We we get a, a name wrong or a picture wrong, and you know it makes headlines. But um, oh yeah, wait, hold on, stunning. Hold on, I I had a quote in a headline once. Okay, right. I had a quote in a headline once. And I got one word in the quote wrong. I forgot to put the word the in the quote. Okay. Oh my. Facebook flagged it. Facebook flagged it for being fake. I was like, wow. are you kidding me? 
So this, by the way, is from the Justice Department, direct from the Justice Department. When the door was opened, when the door was opened, Pelosi and DePape or DePape were both holding a hammer with one hand. And DePape had his other hand holding onto Pelosi's forearm. Pelosi greeted the officers. The officers asked them what was going on. DePape responded that everything was good. Officers then asked Pelosi and DePape to drop the hammer. Asked both of them to drop the hammers. So, I mean, it, this this reads like two hammers. Uh, and who opened the door? It's not clear, and they we still don't know who opened the door. You know, very strange. You know, very, very strange. A lot of questions here, but again, I don't know if, we're ever, if, we'll, if we will ever hear the full story. Um, so they say in this, this uh, release today, too, that they actually interviewed DePepe. And he was going to uh, break Nancy Pelosi's kneecaps unless she told the truth, you know, uh, whatever that means, uh, you know, and that and that he was tired and wanted to take a nap when he got upstairs, which is a, is a bit of an odd statement for somebody who just broke in the speaker of the house, her home. So very, very, uh, very strange situation here. And uh, I don't know if we're going to ever hear the truth. So never. I, I'm going to predict boldly that we'll never hear the truth. But I say a lot of his behavior, Pepe's behavior, is knowing he's a drug addict. I would say the existence of drugs or, and or alcohol explains yes. a lot of weird stuff. Does that make sense, Jim? <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Sure. And but the, but the, here's here's some some question marks I have. So you have this guy who's you know reportedly. Uh, uh, you know, habitual drug user, a drug addict. He's homeless by all, by most accounts, um, and yet uh, he's running some websites. We're supposed to believe, and he also uh, is able to plot um, a break-in of the Speaker of the House's home um, and and carry all of the essential items with him that he needed: zip ties and a hammer and uh, you know a backpack and uh, you know. So we're supposed to believe all these things. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but you know, this is what we're being fed. So, uh, you know, there, there it is. Oh, and back to your Twitter yep. thing. I now denied twice to advertise on Twitter. <clears throat> wow. Now, now they said I violated some misinformation. Yet I was never cited for it. That's uh, it's it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. So it, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I hope, again, I hope Elon can clean it up. Well, I've seen Elon start to release emails he's found that show that Twitter was lying about, you know, certain things in his lawsuit. Have you seen that, Jim? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he reported that yesterday, and he also uh, said that he's going to release more, so... Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing those uh, emails that he has a hold of now, and uh, yeah. So I would say he's being he's not rushing. A lot of people say, "Well, why isn't Trump back already?" Elon yeah. is a businessman, and it seems to me he wants to establish workable policies, not just make snap decisions. Does that make sense, Jim? Uh, I think that makes uh, a lot of sense. And I think Elon is a, obviously a very successful, smart uh, businessman. And I see people who don't like his free speech policies attacking Elon Musk and saying he's erratic and so on. This guy doesn't seem hey, erratic. 
I got a question for you guys. We're all in we're we're all in the news business here. You guys ever remember journalists being so angry about somebody wanting free speech? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that. They're, they're so furious at this point because they control the narrative. And they have controlled the narrative. And that means that they've shut out, uh, you know, uh, opinions they don't approve of, which, of course, is Gateway Pundit and Donald Trump and several other people. Um, and uh, so 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 they're, they're probably going to fight pretty hard uh, against Elon. Um, we'll see how much pressure he can take. But they're going to go after him, uh, you know, very strong, strong, because uh, uh, they don't want to give this up, obviously. Pardon me. Have you been banned by Google Ads yet? Um, we were banned by Google Ads last year. It actually made um, some headlines, and um, it was uh, there was a, an, a, a far left group that took credit for it. So uh, that has happened. Uh, you know, uh, it, uh, we're not the only ones that that Google has banned, but of, of course, it's. Uh, it's it's always someone on the right, um, and again, we're we're one of the top four or five websites on the conservative side in America today. We represent a lot of grassroots causes, and the fact that they would uh, block us is you know very political in nature. We know that, so but that's that's where we are. Unless unless Republicans grow a spine, which mm, doesn't look like they're going to do that anytime soon, or unless people like Elon Musk step in. I loved his statement when he bought the company. And last Thursday, he says, I really just want, I believe in, I love humanity. And I want, I think it's important that we have all viewpoints for the future of humanity. I thought that was a beautiful statement. I believe, I believe he really means that. And um, so, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see that he'll be able to accomplish something, uh, you know, with his ownership of Twitter. I, I do have well, my concerns and, and about North. Carmine, at the risk of embarrassing Jim Hoff, the gateway pundit. I'm going to say this. I've said it before when you're not on the show, Jim, just sitting on it. One of the things I really admire and love about you is it's not that you're perfect. I don't expect people to be, be, be perfect. And in fact, I don't envy you for covering breaking news. I don't like covering breaking news. But in my experience with Jim Hoff, I have never once submitted a story that was well-sourced, that Jim said, this is against my personal beliefs, so <laughs> I'm not going to publish it. No, I, I mean it. Jim, I appreciate when, when I've submitted stories that are well-sourced, Jim has always said, yeah, we'll print it. That's your attitude. And I think the problem is the media is not biased. They're dishonest. They're liars. Correct. They bury stories. I'll go beyond. Absolutely. They're not just they don't just make mistakes. But Jim, what's your comment? Oh, I think I think you're absolutely right. Thank you for that. Um, uh, yeah, I think they've gone behind beyond being, you know, just the, the the leftist media. I think they're really just completely dishonest. They they push narratives that have no basis in fact. We saw that with with uh, the COVID. We saw that now with the COVID vaccines. Uh, you know, they they're they're attacking us with some of the reports we put up. Uh, that are there's scientific reports that we're just reporting on. Um, they did that with uh, the Mueller witch hunt for uh, you know three four years when the FBI knew it was a lie, 
the uh, the, the reporters obviously must have known something was up, and yet they published it anyway and, and, and won their Pulitzers uh, off of junk news. So uh, if they had any uh, credibility or integrity, they would return those those uh, those Pulitzer prizes, but they don't. Um, they're they're happy to be liars for the regime, and um, so they're going to keep those Pulitzers on you know the mantle up by their fireplace. Um, uh, they have no intention to to telling the Americans the truth, and they have no shame about it. That's their duty. Nope. They are faithful, you know, soldiers for the left, and and that's that's their purpose today. And uh, yep. specifically, I, I will say not even left exactly because what I've read about David Pepe. He's not on the left. I'm sorry, forgive me. He's not on the right. He's being called a Trump Republican. And I think that's an insult to him in a sense that this guy's got political beliefs. And by misreporting what he believes, they're being insulting to his leftist beliefs. Does that make sense? No, I think you're right. I think there's a lot more to this guy than what we're hearing than uh those those pages he put up are very suspect, and and we've been looking into that and talking to some IT professionals what their thoughts on it. But um, yeah, it's 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 very unusual for somebody in Berkeley to have such so-called conservative uh, beliefs, which is what they want us to believe. But but also by saying, see, because I don't view QAnon as an official Trump position. I, I'm I've always been opposed to QAnon. And I, even when I was a Trump supporter, I stopped supporting him over the Julian Assange thing. And then, but QAnon is does not equal Trump. Does that make sense, Jim? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, Lee. Now let's talk about Catherine Engelbrecht and the arrest today of her. This is outrageous. This is another example of killing press freedom, in my opinion. Talk about that. What's happened with Catherine? You know, this is something, too, and, you know, we talk about how dishonest the media is, and yet we're not seeing screaming headlines about this today. Um, we should. Uh, Catherine and Greg uh, released some information on this company, Connick, out of Michigan. They had said that they were uh, involved in the elections. They said that they had ties to China. They said it was a really big deal. And so the company came out and sued Catherine and Greg. Um, after they sued Catherine and Greg, the CEO of the company was actually arrested. And um, it was actually the Los Angeles uh, district attorney, Gascon, this, you know, crazy person who is, you know, it would be the last person you would think would be uh, going after Connick, and yet here he is. Um, they arrest this this owner of Connick, and yet this this trial against Catherine and Greg goes on. The judge wanted Catherine and Greg to release their source from the company, to release who was giving them this information, and they've refused. And so this judge said, "Well, we're, I'm going to put you in jail." Then, and so um, I'm not sure why the judge is so uh, you know adamant about getting this source from Catherine and Greg. I think the bigger story is that Connick was actually storing information from election workers over in China. And this is a fact now. We know this. It was in the actual indictment against the owner. 
And so that's a pretty big story that um, U.S. election worker information is being stored in, in China. But the judge isn't worried about that. He's worried about who told Catherine and Greg about this. So um, I'm surprised there's not more true journalists out there who would speak up about this. But um, I'm not seeing that it's getting many headlines today, um, which tells you everything like you just guys had just said uh, about the dishonest press in this country today. So once again, I urge, urge people, go to Gateway Pundit. And I'm going to say this. Jim is one of the most fearless journalists working in America today. And the proof of that is here he is on this show. And appearing on Sputnik, Carmine and Jim have proven that they are independent thinkers and not afraid to go on a forum like Sputnik that's going to let them speak their piece. So so Jim Hoff from the Gateway Pundit, thanks so much. Great appearance as always. Carmine, great co-hosting as always. And we'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory. Backstory.